1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Welcome into a fresh edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. And we roll into May, and it did not take long to get some fresh recruiting news for Penn State. Following in April, in which they picked up seven verbal commitments to expand their class to ten players, it didn't take long. Sunday afternoon, they get a commitment out of Rodney McGraw, who spent the previous three months pledged to the Indiana Hoosiers. He will instead face off against Indiana As a member of a different Big Ten East squad, he's the first defensive line commitment for this class. He is the eighth Penn State commitment in a span of 24 days, going back to April 9th. 11 players now on board, the number 13 class uh, ranked nationally by twenty four seven sports and Sean, momentum
1: keeps on rolling for these Nittany Lions. Nothing really surprising anymore. I mean, that's uh, they're, uh We're we're a long way away from pre Landon Tangwell commitment. When you're talking about uh, will they ever get a commitment again? Um, this is the sort of thing that happens. And that's kind of the the situation that we're in with with the situation that we're in. So uh, now it's been uh, it's been quite a run for Penn State to obviously hit on some uh, positions of needs. Uh, no shortage of of that with defensive end. I mean, that's been really the one that we've been talking about because, you, you know, you can talk quarterback and you can talk uh, running back different positions and things like that. But when you need multiples of something and there's not much out there, which is exactly the case. I mean, it's a bad year to need defensive ends. So Penn State's had to expand that board, go different directions, keep in touch with guys like McGraw who have committed elsewhere. Um earlier in the process and and that's where you end up with. i mean, it's just I mentioned this on the board after uh you know, and we're gonna get to John Scott here in a little bit, but the situation that he was thrust into with you know coming on board late, not being able to get these guys to campus i guess what in the in the the week and a half or two weeks that uh, that he had. Um, has some personal stuff going on with his family that he needed to take care of as well. I mean, there's just so much going against Scott, and for him to get on the board finally, I think is a good sign for him. He's got some other guys that, uh, that he's been in contact with that he's made priorities that, uh, have been uh, you know trending well for Penn State as well. So I mean maybe maybe he comes out on the other side of this and looks great. Um, I think it was a short term loss for for what we what we saw with Aaron Armitage and of course they lost Elijah Judy who was a priority target for them. But uh, yeah, to rebound to get going with some defensive line momentum is exactly what they needed.
0: Excellent point on Scott's late arrival to this uh, staff. It's worth noting he didn't come on board until I think it was the second week of February. Uh, you compare that to Kirk Shiraka, the offensive coordinator. Uh, joining this program down in Dallas, days before the Cotton Bowl. That's a huge, huge difference, and we'll get to in a moment how that helped facilitate the addition of Christian Veyu, who will join the show in a little bit. we got about a 20-minute conversation coming your way with Veyu, the new Penn State quarterback. A lot of topics discussed in that one, so stick around for that. We're also going to have insight from James Franklin, who joined 24-7 Sports, uh, scouting director and CBS reporter Barton Simmons, who does a lot for us here at 24-7 Sports. A great conversation that was posted uh, earlier today on Tuesday uh, for the social distance series. There has been a big time run on different college football coaches uh, discussing their programs, discussing their outlook for 2020 with everything that's going on. James Franklin, and Matthew McConaughey, and Matthew yeah. McConaughey. More <laughs> importantly, um, and Franklin entered that fray. Um, so you'll get to hear that. We got a lot of content up on the site. Sean and I will kind of parse through um, some notable topics that that popped up um, during that conversation a little bit later, and we. Have have a way, a new way uh, for y'all to get your questions and topics into this conversation. We want to hear from you um, on the podcast. We want to help Uh, facilitate some of the conversations that you're interested in hearing, maybe that we're not discussing already. Um, So we're going to tell you how we can do that a little bit later on the show. But Sean, let's reshuffle and get back to focusing on Rodney McGraw, uh, the number 11 commitment, as we said, the first on the defensive front, the first overall for John Scott. And as I said, a player who in in late January committed to the in-state Indiana Hoosiers. Um, He is considered a top 10 talent in the state of Indiana, number seven in the composite rankings. He's a three star composite, number 26 among weak side defensive ends, 6'5. Sounds like he'll be pushing 230 plus, uh, maybe going toward 240 uh, as a senior. Um, but this is a kid who is still relatively new to uh, football based on the reporting from Alan True. Um, and it, it also a guy that, you know, it, didn't have a, a huge array of national offers. Uh, you're not looking at competing with uh, the Clemsons and Alabamas of the world for this kid. But they hosted him back in last October for the whiteout. Uh, stayed in contact through the coaching change. And ultimately, uh, you know, pr- with some stealth here, it seems, prime away from Indiana. And he was the second-ranked commit
1: on that Hoosiers board this is a guy that's been you know higher in the board than 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 we've mentioned before on the podcast we've talked about him on the site uh you know sort of in our S zones and things like that as a priority and a guy that they've really liked when they went out on the road in i believe it was in december The first stop that they had, or one of the first stops that they had was in Indiana to check in on Rodney McGraw. It seemed like a Penn State Michigan battle at that point. He was coming off of a whiteout visit to Penn State, uh, you know, for, for that win over Michigan, but it seemed like Michigan had some, um, you know some of the mo- momentum there and all of a sudden Indiana comes out of nowhere uh, now they've been a constant it's an in-state school and and, and they Tom Allen does a fantastic job uh, not only identifying talent but producing talent and, and developing it um, you know they, they can never seem to get over the hump in terms of, of total team management, you know talent but uh, he does a good job he's a very good coach um, but but McGraw's a guy that uh, committed did the stay home thing, did the, uh, you know, put on for my state type thing. And then all of a sudden a couple of key staffers leave Indiana and, you know, he's kind of left out. So that's kind of where Penn State swooped back in. Um, John Scott made him a priority. Whereas, as, as I mentioned before, some some of the guys in the region that were more familiar names, guys like Aaron Armitage, Jazion Harris, uh, you know, sort of moved the other direction for those guys. And McGraw's been a guy that they've been after for for a while now. He's been receptive. He's of course been on campus. They know what he's like. I mean, six four and a half, close to six five. He's about two thirty when he visited back in the in the fall. Really fits that profile in terms of what they're and more so what they're looking for. There's a bunch of guys on the board who are you know. 63-ish, maybe 63. 6'3. Um Ronnie McGraw has got that documented size that you want you know about him. He's been a priority. It was like I said it was a little bit of a surprise when he committed to Indiana, but they've circled back around some things. Some some chips fell in the Nittany Lions favor and now, you know, that that uh sort of long-term relationship plus that short-term boost have paid off for Penn State. Uh, you know, it I mean, it's 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 weird. This is the recruiting game that we're in right now. Um, some, sometimes things just have to fall in your direction, and at defensive end, a spot where they need uh, bodies badly, you have to expand that board. You have to go elsewhere, and Ronnie McGraw is a guy that they kept up contact with, and, and it certainly paid off.
0: A genuine edge rusher here that he fits that mold, as you said. That's a position where Penn State is looking to uh, really you know, plug some players into in this class and move forward with a strength and depth chart in 2020 and beyond at defensive end and we talked a lot about some of the guys who may have been labeled defensive ends or recruited by other programs at defensive end you know adding that bulk moving to the inside upon arrival at Penn State um, That that's kind of been a common theme at times you know a, a name that sticks out to me kind of in that I guess Frame this year is Kevin Gilliam. I really like what he could bring to them at the defensive tackle position. If he was to pick Penn State, he's told us he wants to use an official visit whenever that may happen. But looking ahead, I mean, we're at eleven commits now, Sean. When we assess this class, they're going to have a very hard time, especially because we're not seeing that spring attrition. That's a topic that you've discussed a lot in the board. We've talked about it here. You're not seeing some of the roster departures at this stage that maybe maybe we would have anticipated coming out of a spring practice period. So. They're going to have a hard time doubling the size of this class based on where it is currently. And how do you think defensive line factors in there with the first year positional coach, the numbers they have at defensive tackle, you would certainly think
1: things would gravitate more towards that edge. Well, it's interesting considering the last couple of years and actually more than the last couple of years, the last five years, all the talk has been about adding defensive tackles because they need defensive tackles. They need guys in the middle there that can change the game and things like that. Well, now they have what? 23 defensive tackles on the roster (laughs) or something like that. So um, now all of a sudden it's a bad year. (laughs) It's a bad year to be needing defensive ends considering what's in the, uh, uh, in the region, it's also a bad year to not need defensive tackles, considering what's in the region. Because there's there's some good ones out there. Penn State's still in on, um, and then and then you guys go to the guys at the top of the board, which maybe they're not particularly as in on. Guys like Taiwan Malone in Jersey, who they're still you know trying to keep up with, but that's uh, that's an uphill battle. Uh, Tyrion. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins down in South Carolina is probably the guy that's top on the board, and he's just he's blowing up. Uh, got an LSU offer last night. He had a great relationship with John Scott, but in the situation that we're in, does he visit? Uh, you know, in a normal situation, has he visited yet? Probably, but that's just not the case. So we'll see where it goes with that. You mentioned Kevin Gilliam. I think that's probably your most realistic target, and that's pretty that's a pretty good fallback if you're going if you're going to go in that direction. So uh, I, I like uh, where Penn State stands with Gilliam. Dorian Ford out in Western PA is still there. Aaron Donald's a guy that, uh, or excuse me, uh, Elliot Donald, Aaron Donald's nephew, is a guy that they've been talking to, and he had an official visit set for the end of May before that was uh, you know thrown into the into the wilderness. So uh, there's there, there's names out there. You're feeling pretty good about uh, where you stand at tackle as regard to end, going to end. I mean, George Wilson's a guy that's, that's an obvious top target for me, a four-star in 24-7 sports out of Virginia who Penn State offered, uh, I think, in March or either in late February or, or early March. Um, and then Travali Price is another one of those guys in, in North Carolina that John Scott had a, a relationship with while he was at South Carolina. You wanted to get him up in in, in uh, regards to Ingram Dawkins and Price. They're kind of in a similar boat. You wanted to get him up. You just can't do that right now. And then, you know, there's another name down in Texas that
0: you have referenced in being one of those trickier names because you're looking for verified measurables. You're looking uh, to get this kid on campus and, and kind of get him in your own setting where you can, uh, you know, poke and prod the way you need to uh, when, when you're assessing a prospect and trying to, to use limited uh, scholarships. Uh, And that's Landon Watson, uh, four-star defensive end out of Texas, who I spoke with just a couple of weeks ago. And and he's got plans for an official visit. Everyone's got plans for official visits. Uh, It means about as much as having plans to go to spend time in Philadelphia this summer. Who knows if it's going to happen um, or when it's going to happen. So, um, a lot of names on the board. We know Rodney McGraw is now a commit, uh, so we'll move ahead with that. A bunch of stuff coming out out of that commitment over the weekend, in case you missed it. uh, Some analysis from Allen, the general story on this commitment, some background on what led him to Penn State. Steve Wiltfong caught up with McGraw uh, about this decision and how Indiana's coaching staff moves played a pivotal role in him looking elsewhere, um, and also. So we've got a fresh rundown of this class. It uh, feels like something we need to do pretty often these days, um, kind of refreshing everybody on who's in the class, how they got there and what they figured to do. In state college, uh, staying on the defensive line conversation, we did get John Scott for the first time um, last week. It was uh, he's the last coach that we had not spoken to um, this off season. and you know obviously he's the new kid on the block uh, with this staff. But he's a guy that that we've been itching to get some conversation with, and unfortunately, much like Taylor Stubblefield, it wasn't able to be the deep dive into his room that we all would have anticipated a few months ago because he has not led a practice session. He was involved with winter workouts. He's speaking with these guys on a daily basis uh, via Zoom, um, via FaceTime, and that's all great. But it, it, it would be, you know, certainly a, a, a bit of a rush to, to expect him to give us a full analysis of who's really, you know, stepping up for starting jobs or who's pushing on the too deep. We had that depth chart that came out in April. It reflected Jason Oway as the starter opposite of uh, uh, Shaka Tony, replacing Yitor Grossmanos. Um, John Scott, though, was quick to mention. Uh, you know you got Adiza Isaac in there you got Shane Simmons a fifth year senior who came in years ago as a five-star prospect looking to to, to make something of, of his final year on campus those are three names to know uh, on the on the battle opposite of Vitor Grossmados. and you know going back to Tony real quickly uh, sh- uh, this has been a key resource for John Scott Sean he said that you know you come into a room you try to identify who has the ear of his peers and you try to make sure you establish that connection with that guy first and foremost because uh, there is a lot of leadership that goes on that doesn't involve the coach in these positional rooms and it certainly sounds like Shakatonie a player that we were waiting would he wouldn't he go into the NFL draft Wait, we we waited all the way to the deadline he didn't announce it we just got the list and he wasn't on it for the draft He's still on campus. Well, he's still involved with this program. And that's important uh, right now for John Scott as he tries to, you know, get uh, make his mark and, and cultivate a culture because there was a
1: tremendous one in place uh, after six years of Sean Spencer leading the way. I mean, that's your continuity right there um, with with guys like uh, Shaka Tony and Shane Simmons, guys that have been around for a while, because not only do you lose. Sean Spencer. You also lose Kevin Smith, who's been with that defensive line for years. He's now an assistant coach uh, for Ricky Ronnie at, at Old Dominion. And, you know, sometimes those grad assistants are invaluable in terms of passing the torch and things like that, as we've seen through a couple of coaching changes, so um, you, you lose a guy like Kevin Smith, you lose Sean Spencer, you lose a lot of that familiarity with those current players, and 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 the feedback that you could get from him is 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 certainly uh, not to be overlooked. So that's a, that's an important thing that we probably haven't talked about enough. But yeah, I mean, you, you've got those guys that uh, have been around for a long time, and and really you know bring that experience to the guy. I mean, you've got. To to me, you've got some some clear cut lines in that in that room, especially at defensive end, uh, where you've got Tony and Simmons who have been around for a while. You've got the the high upside guys that are probably going to be the higher draft picks, and Adisa Isaac and Jason Away. Um, but uh, you know they need experience. They need some some of that uh, wisdom, I guess you could say. And then you flip down to tackle, and it's you know, it's also pretty clear cut in terms of guys that have been around, um, guys like, uh, Antonio Shelton and PJ Mustafer who you got to play off each other. And, and then Fred Hansard's been around for a while. And then other than that, uh, you're not really sure what's, uh, what's going to come of it. You've got judge Culpepper, you've got, uh, I mean, does Damian Barber, you know, does the light go on for him? And then you've got a guy like Hakeem Beeman, who, you know, has been really just, uh, you know, picking up that uh, that that sort of hype that we would expect from a guy that that might contribute as a redshirt freshman. So you've got. You know, uh, sort of isolated tiers when you take a look at this defensive line. You've got talent, but you've got guys that that need to start pushing that across the line. And you know, you, you could wait for Yitor Gross Matos to make a play, or you could wait for Robert Windsor to make a play. Now, all of a sudden, these guys have to step up in the back end of that rotation and make some of those plays. And I also remembered I, I left off Smith Smith Vilbert there. So I mean, you've got uh, a lot of talent, a lot of upside, a lot of uh, you know, a handful of draft picks in this room, and you just got to see that uh, see that transition continue to, to to phase in that direction.
0: Robert Windsor is gone, a uh, new member of the Indianapolis Colts ver- via a six-round pick. Uh, But P.J. Musfer, as we've spoken about before, he played essentially starters reps last year as a true sophomore, a guy who uh, broke through, burned that red shirt, got the green light coming in uh, as a top 100 overall prospect, a a top five defensive tackle uh, in the composite rankings with that 2018 class. And I think he is in line to make a leap this year, not just on the field, but in this locker room. It certainly feels like he is doing all the right things, checking those boxes, whether it's Dwight Galt telling us uh, in the weight room, what's going on in the off season? Or now, John Scott uh, explaining what he has experienced so far, conversing with PJ Mustaver on a daily basis. This kid has always had uh, the captain-like qualities. Now, I don't know if, if if it's in the cards for him this year. We'll see. But would not surprise me at all uh, if he ends up coming into the 2020 season as one of these one of these team captains. And he's going to be important at defensive tackle, as you said, behind him. What's going to happen behind him and Antonio Shelton? Another name that that really Scott made a point to mention. He mentioned a lot of defensive tackles. That wasn't a surprise. Very few did not get mentioned. But one that he was really quick to point to and saying that that he felt had something going on was Judge Culpepper, a guy that I think you know, you look at that 2018 class and all the star power that it that came in, and and some of that has already you know gone out via the transfer portal, and some of it has come to fruition, and we're going to hear names called next year in the draft out of that group. But a name that maybe was overlooked a bit coming out of Florida, son of a, a former Florida Gators great and an NFL defensive lineman, a, a Judge Culpepper. And, and he's somebody that you know last year um, ended up leapfrogging a, a couple other guys, I think most notably Damian Barber as the season went on. And certainly sounds like a guy making his push to, to, for too deep consideration as a redshirt sophomore.
1: He certainly does, and that would track well with his uh, trajectory. I mean, if he's coming onto the, the scene as a redshirt sophomore, that's exactly where you want him to be. Obviously, he's got a lot of things working for him with his pedigree, with his uh, you know ability to to you know, I guess, grow into what we thought he could be. And uh, it seems to be going in that direction. We had him at second on our depth chart. I believe the official depth chart had him the, the second team as well. But uh, yeah, you just need five or six guys to, uh, to 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 elevate themselves. I see Beeman making a run there, as I as I mentioned earlier. But Judge Culpepper, I think, can be a big part of this rotation, you know, and grow into that and eventually become um, a potential pro prospect out of it because they 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 really like what he can do. There's a phrase that that Franklin sometimes likes to use is he's working himself into a a player and I think he's used that at some point with with Judge Culpepper and I think it sort of uh, rings true because it's it's kind of exactly what you, um, you what you wanted when you brought him to the program you know he was a tight end was a defensive end but uh, you always saw him as eventually outgrowing whatever he was you know at, at that point and. He's done that to this uh, to this point and he's done a really good job of it. So excited to see him on the field, excited to see what he can do. I know a lot of people like uh, what he brings to the table. And you know, if he can step in there and be that fourth guy, it can really solidify things and go a long way in establishing what this defensive line can be. Yeah. From Cole Pepper in that 2018 class to the 2019 defensive tackle
0: group, you had mentioned Akeem Beeman throughout recent months as, as a player really making a, making his case uh, for consideration in 2020. Another guy in that class, that defensive tackle, who is further down the road uh, in terms of needing time to, to get to the point where Beeman's at now and, and getting on the field, making an impact, is Joseph Darkwa, but his path is is different than B-Minutes, different than anybody else in that room, because he's about 4,000 miles away from home, coming from Germany, and, and catching up with Scott, aside from hearing you know about how Darkwa was really putting in work this offseason, and all the positive reviews you would anticipate uh, from a coach early on uh, without really seeing a guy in action, Darqua is still in state college. Uh, we had heard from James Franklin in late March, when when the shutdowns really went into effect, that there was a collection of Penn State student athletes, you know, still here um, in town, uh, working through the process uh, and and going to classes remotely, essentially, you know, right off of campus and and, and sticking around. And Darqua, you, you would wonder with any of these international guys, and they have a few from Canada, but here you're talking about 4,000 miles again. Where is he right now? And during the global pandemic, and it turns out uh, he's. On campus, I thought that was interesting. You know, John Scott uh, says it, it's it's been pretty important to get to to know him because there is a lot he's still working through. But you talk to PJ Mustafer earlier this offseason. You talk to to some of the other uh, players on this team about where Darkwell is compared to when he got here. I mean, there were things from Terry Smith telling us he didn't really know the to, uh, to use the phrase restroom to everything you can imagine. Learning the game of football at this level, just a lot thrown Darkwa's way. But Mustafar made it a point to, to say that that he really is is competing with more confidence and competing. Just period is a good step forward for a freshman because you don't often see that that, that kick in till a little bit later because their their mind is racing and and physically it can take some time to catch up. So I think with Darkwa, it's going to be notable to to follow him along as a football player but this is a kid who turns 21 here in a couple months he's older and you know taking that different path uh, out of the European recruiting scene one of the more fascinating players that we will be following along long term could end up being a 24
1: year old senior uh, down the line I mean, physically, it's it's really interesting. You mentioned his age, and that has something to do with it. But physically, strong kid. I mean, obviously, had to work or learn how to work for American football. I mean, it's just – it's such a big jump. I don't know that we can categorize anybody that's coming to the program you know, as far behind as Joseph Darkwa. But he's got the physical ability to, to back it up. I, this is still a guy I don't see getting on the field this year. Um, and I don't think it should be expected of him to do so. I mean, just all kinds of raw, um, all kinds of learning curves at it. I mean, beyond football. I mean, you got language, you got the education. I mean, there's there's a lot going into what he has to overcome to be where he needs to be. Will he get there? I mean, it's still very much up in the air. But he's he's made some strides, and you know, even with making those strides, I mean, the, there's still a long way to go for Joseph Darqua. I think it's uh, a fascinating sort of case study in terms of where these guys can go uh you know some some places he would be thrust into uh you know making an impact already or getting onto the field already that's not the case penn state's got some some leeway with defensive tackle but if he gets things squared away you know you like where they're at if not i mean it's it, it it's tough to uh to sort of swallow that scholarship. But I mean, that's kind of where we're at and that's kind of what was expected with Joseph Darkwa. He was as far from an early impact guy as you could possibly have, despite, you know, the, the photos and everything. I mean, this is a big freaking kid uh, really like what he brings to the table physically. He's got a ways to go uh, catching up with everything else.
0: Listed six foot five, 287 pounds. And the phrase that, that coach Scott applied to him uh, as far as the ceiling, he said, dominant run stopper inside. So uh, there's the initial thoughts from John Scott on what Darkwa could be down the line. Uh, We have a story up on the site if you want to learn more about his background, what brought him to campus, and and what awaits for his development. We're going to jump into a conversation now with Christian a quarterback commit for Penn State, jumped on board last week. It was uh, really interesting during recent months to follow along in Penn State's pursuit of a quarterback. They found him. He had plenty to say about the process and what's next for him as a Nittany Lion. Uh, And additionally, when we come back from that conversation, we'll tell you how you can get involved with the conversation here on a weekly basis, on an episode-by-episode basis. We want more input from you. We're going to tell you how to give us uh, that opportunity and also some insight from James Franklin's appearance on 24-7 Sports Social Distance uh, uh, Series. That's all coming your way. But first, let's get to an ad break and Christian. Christian Veyu surfaced as a big name to know a while back, got his offer last June after attending an Nittany Lions camp. He is now on board, committing on Wednesday afternoon. And Christian, welcome aboard the Lions 24-7 podcast. Congratulations again. Yeah, thank you for having me. When was it apparent to you that Penn State was the pick? You, you let us all know on Wednesday when you put out your tweet. When did you make up your mind internally?
2: Um, I actually woke up Sunday morning and, um, at breakfast is when I told my parents that, you know, I was ready to make a decision that my decision was Penn state. So I pretty much knew Sunday and I told the coaches on Monday and I decided to announce it, um, on Wednesday. So that's how it all, that's how it all happened.
0: Clearly you put a lot of thought into this. I'm sure it wasn't just waking up on Sunday and a light bulb goes off or maybe it was, I mean, how exactly do you get to that finish line?
2: I mean, you know, Penn State has always been at the top of my mind and one of the schools that I I would definitely see myself at. And I've known a lot of Penn State um, over the years. And I think that, um, you know, it was just uh, over the past month, I've been thinking about it a lot and having a lot of conversations with my parents and stuff. And, you know, me and the coaches were in constant contact, having conversations and stuff. So I think at Sunday, you know, the days prior, I had been thinking to it a lot and really. You know, deep diving into my personal opinions and stuff. And I think I woke up that morning and I was thinking about it at the game, And I I just told myself, like, yeah, I feel like this is the right decision for me. And, you know, my parents were on board. The family was on board. And, yeah, so I was super excited.
0: So what's the reaction at that breakfast table? And then what's the first phone call you make when you decide to let Penn State know?
2: Um, I mean, you know, everybody was happy. Um, You know, everybody's on board. Everybody felt like it was the right decision. You know, there wasn't anybody who was like, well, maybe this school, maybe that school. No, everybody was, um, you know, happy about it. And I think deep down, everybody um, would have picked that one if they all had a separate choice to make. So, I mean, I called the coaches. Um, I called Coach Franklin, Coach Sirocco and Coach Bowen on Monday um, on a Zoom call. And, you know, I had the whole family in there, my parents and my little brother. And I pretty much told them that you know, I was committing and stuff, and you know they were super excited and and everything. And then we, you know, talked about when announced when to announce it and who we're trying to get. And um, you know, they were just super happy and proud of me and stuff. And you know, it was just an exciting day for sure.
0: So you had all three coaches on the same call along with your family. Yeah, very cool. And 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 as you said during that conversation, you suddenly go from being recruited to being a recruiter for Penn State. We'll talk about that aspect in in just a little bit, but your history with Penn State, as I mentioned, goes pretty far beyond that offer last June. You made it to camp the summer before. What is your history? Could you describe it with Penn State in terms of when that interest really started going and and when Penn State also started showing interest in return?
2: I mean, I've been, um, I can't even remember the first time I went to a Penn State football camp. It must have been Uh, eighth grade or ninth grade I think I went to one of the summer camps and um, you know I think they've just always known about me because of that and you know there's a there's two players like Jonathan and Jesse who come from Ottawa and go to Penn State and I have a relationship with them so um, you know I've just had a long history of you know visiting Penn State and going to the camps and you know it's always been a school that Um, you know, I've seen Canadian talent go to that school and I knew that was, you know, a good spot. So I think that correlated pretty well to myself. And, um, yeah, I think it, it's just, it started a while back that I knew about Penn State
0: and, um, they knew about me. So that was definitely good. Trust me. We're going to cross this conversation over into the, to the Canadian aspect very soon. But I want to touch on one of the coaches that you mentioned on that call, Kirk Chiracca, You're initially recruited by Ricky Ronnie as the quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator. He's the guy watching you closely last summer when you're on camp and get that offer. When they transitioned to (laughs) Sharaka a few days after Christmas, how quickly did you hear from him?
2: I mean, just to give credit to coach Ronnie, I mean, he, he recruited me very hard and, um, you know, I was, you know, his message was clear and how bad he wanted me. And, you know, I was, I, I had a really great relationship with him. And when I heard the coaching change, you know, it was a, it was kind of a red flag. I mean, for anybody, you see a court, um, a coordinator change and you're, you're a little skeptical. But as soon as I got on the phone with coach Soraka, like, I think he, he called me a day or two after he got hired. And, um, actually, it might've been the day of, he called me and, you know, within two weeks, you know, I knew this guy was, was special and I knew he was serious. And, um, you know, he's a really honest and upfront guy. And I feel like that's what I respect a lot about him. And, you know, he just told me how he felt about me. And, You know, and he was honest and he expressed his, um, you know, his need and his want for me in the class and in his offense. And I think we just, you know, we have a great relationship through all this recruiting thing. And, you know, I have nothing but great things to say. So when he got hired and I got that relationship with him, I feel like it, it definitely helped Penn State a lot for sure.
0: The tricky part here is uh, we don't quite know what Kirk Sciarocca's offense is going to look like with Penn State. We we know there's going to be some aspects from Minnesota. There's going to be some things that are kept intact from what the Nittany Lions were already doing. You had a chance to go to campus early February, the first weekend, and sit down with them. And and it was pretty fascinating to hear this. I know you spoke with Sean Fitz at Lines 24-7 about watching Penn State film. But when they were going up against Minnesota last year and really having a tough time slowing down Tanner Morgan in that passing game, how surreal was that sitting with the Penn State coach trying to get you to come to Penn State while watching another team's offense go up against that team? I think it just um,
2: – I think it was the best way um, for him to show me what he can do. You know, the fact that he he was able to do that in Minnesota against a team like Penn State. Like, honestly, that was the game that i that I really wanted him to show me was that game and how he – coordinated and we went through that whole game like he told me the situations and what he did the plays that he was running why he ran them and stuff and you know I really understood like how great of an offensive mind he is and that I could really fit into his offense and you know I did my I did my homework and my research and you see the production that he puts out in his his past schools and his past jobs and you just see that um you know he helps out quarterbacks a lot and he has a system that really helps them develop and really prosper under him so I think that was a something that was really interesting for me, for sure.
0: If you had not been able to get to Happy Valley and had that sit-down with Coach Shiraka and get to know his his brain a bit more, and then all of a sudden this pandemic sweeps through and you don't know when you can get to Penn State or any schools next, would you have been comfortable enough to commit to Penn State or move forward with any kind of commitment to any school?
2: You know, it definitely would have been harder, you know, not getting that face-to-face with them. Um, but I think if I wouldn't have gone to that to Penn State, I don't think I would have taken any visits to any other school. So um, you know, it would be a tough decision to make that. But um honestly, I think in the end, like Penn State is still the best school for me with or without Coach Araka. And I feel like, you know, either way, I was um I think I would have circled back and, and made a decision on Penn State either way. So I mean he definitely helped and you know that visit was definitely eye-opening and definitely gave me a sense of of security and you know, confidence and in, in coach the rock for sure. So,
0: how much communication did you hear just over the course of April from some of these new commitments? Maybe some of the older commitments. Whether it's a guy like uh, Liam Clifford or a Landon Tengwall who, who jumped on board in March, how much were they a part of, of bringing you on board?
2: Um, I mean,
0: I pretty much like.
2: I um, got a text from all those guys, like, in April after they committed and landed in Liam. Like, they all, you know, texted me and, and let me know, like, yeah, we want you in this class. These coaches want you. We want you. So come be a part of it. So I thought that was pretty special for them to reach out and show their interest, their personal interest as players and not as coaches. So, um, but, you know, I'll do the same. Like, I know that now I've got to recruit, and, like, I'll guarantee you that I'm not going to bring um, – nobody into this class I'm trying to make this class special and I'm going to recruit um, extremely hard to get the players that I want around me and to help me succeed so that they can succeed as well so you know I'm I'm pretty confident that we can make this class a special one for sure.
0: Who were some of your first reach outs in that regard once you officially announced you were committed to Penn State who did you then turn around and say you're next we're going to make it happen we're going to play together?
2: I mean you know Caden Prather and Dante Thorne Jr. as well as um, Jalil Farouk are guys that we're super interested in at wide receiver and they're in the DMV area. So I feel like that, that helps, you know, me being in that area and being around those guys, I feel like that that gives me an edge and, and I feel like I, I can definitely um, reach out to those guys. You know, I've been in contact with, with Kaden and Dante before. So I feel like I've, um, you know, I'm confident that those guys will can follow me and stuff. I mean, I've texted Tristan Lee um, and, I think it's Nolan Rucci. Yep. Um, You're going to want to know that yeah, name. You're going to want to know that name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've texted those guys. And, you know, I've watched every every person's film. And, you know, I would just love to play with those guys. So best believe that I'm going to recruit them hard. And I'm going to let them know that we want them badly. So.
0: You mentioned that DMV region. That is your home away from home for football right now and for school, being down at the Bullis School. Dwayne Haskins went to that program and, and, and had great success there, went on to Ohio State, ended up in the NFL. Have you ever had any contact? Is there any kind of relationship, him being uh, wearing the same uniform that you're now wearing?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely interesting knowing that he went to Bullis. I mean, it definitely showed like what kind of program and what kind of um, like what kind of coach Coach Leno is over at Bullis. I mean, that was definitely eye opening for sure. But yeah, I mean I've worked out with Dwayne Haskins once. Um, you know, it was a great workout and he's a great guy. Like he gave me advice on everything and um, you know, he was very upfront and honest when I asked him about um all the schools that I was looking at and stuff. So um yeah, he's a great dude and I definitely enjoyed that experience and knowing that I went to the same school as him is, is definitely special for sure. So
0: you mentioned some great advice from him. What are a couple of notes that you'll keep in your back pocket that, that you heard from Dwayne Haskins during that conversation?
2: I mean, he definitely said some great things about um, Penn State when I was talking to him. You know, he said that, um, you know, every time he played you guys, it was, it was definitely a big game. And, you know, he had nothing but great things to say about the, the staff that he knew there and stuff. So, um, you know, his opinion on that was, um,
0: was pretty great to hear as well. Again, you're at the Bulls school, but it's it's a temporary home for you because Ottawa is home. You've made the journey like so many other past top Canadian prospects to the United States. Had to go the prep route down here. Started off in, in uh, northern New York at, at Canisius, and then you end up in Maryland. Can you talk about the journey that's led you to this point? Because I, I don't quite think people understand how difficult it is, even for top tier talent, to stay home in Canada and still get that power five recruitment.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, just um, knowing from my past players and, you know, who I trained with in, in Victor Dodondo and Gridiron Academy, I mean, um, you know that being a Canadian, you know, it, it, it offers some challenges when you're trying to get recruited by these big-time schools and stuff and go down to the States and play D1 football. So I knew from, you know, from the get-go, I had to come down to the States to really get that exposure. and. Um, so I pretty much, you know, I grew up in in Ottawa, Ontario, speaking French until seventh grade. So I didn't know too much English until um, I started high school. And, um, you know, three years, I mean, I went down to Canisius and Buffalo last year, um, for my sophomore year. Um, and now I'm at Bullis. So, I mean, you know, the transition to go from Canada to U.S. is, is definitely special. And I had a lot of people telling me that if I do that, You know, it was only going to help my recruiting, so that's what I did. And it was definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made, for sure, so...
0: You mentioned Gridiron and and some of that Ottawa history coming down to the States, ending up at Penn State. Jesse Lucetta battling to be the Nittany Lions middle linebacker this year. He went to Mercyhurst Prep. Jonathan Sutherland, a special teams captain on the 2019 team. He ended up at Episcopal down in Virginia. How how did they become trendsetters for you in, in a way? And how did they also ultimately help you feel comfortable picking Penn State?
2: I mean, you know, just from a young age, you know, I used to I still remember working out while jonathan was still there and you know just seeing him and the success that he had you know it was definitely somebody you looked up to and you you wanted to be in that same position so i mean seeing him go to penn state as well definitely showed that you know it's um penn state was a great school and that it was a great decision for him and as a canadian know that that shows you that it's it's it should also be a great decision for for myself as well so i mean You know, just looking up to those guys and seeing the success that they have. And, you know, they really paved the way for for what I've done. So I'm grateful for those guys and, you know, putting Canada on the map. But that's what I'm doing for the next generation as well. So, I mean, just looking at what they've done and, you know, getting inspiration from them is something that, you know, I, I always do for sure. So
0: and all due respect to Jonathan and Jesse, quarterback always carries a different level of attention across football, regardless of where you're coming from. Because of that, because of your visibility, and because you all share that background in Ottawa, is Penn State on its way to becoming the unofficial college football team of Ottawa?
2: Yeah, I think uh, Penn State is turning to, um, you know, Canadian State University. (laughs) That's my little joke I've got going on. But, I mean, you know, it's just doing a good job with recognizing canadian talent up in canada and you know i know that for a fact where i'm from there's a lot of great players that i go and notice just because you know there's a, a misconception that you know people in canada don't know how to play football and that's just not true you know i grew up playing against people that were extremely extremely good and i think that you know coaches have started looking up north and you know they found some real good talent and especially coach franklin has done a great job with that and you know i think that's one of the something that was really attractive for me is him, you know, going into um, Canada and really recognizing talent and, you know, believing in me as a Canadian who, you know, I've heard some schools tell me that I, I couldn't succeed because I was Canadian. So that's definitely, you know, um, special for me. So
0: Canadian State University. You beat me to it because I was going to expand this beyond Ottawa. You are the second consecutive number one overall Canadian recruit to come out in the class and end up at Penn State. Theo Johnson did that last year. And then, of course, last year as well, Malik Mega out of Quebec, the top wide receiver out of Canada, coming to Happy Valley uh, this upcoming summer. So when you look around, you said it kind of jokingly, but do you really think Penn State can become kind of that that team that a lot of young Canadian football players look toward and, and cheer on from a young age? And maybe this becomes a generational pipeline for the Nittany Lions for a while?
2: That definitely be, would be awesome. You know, I feel like they've they've just done a great job recruiting in Canada and 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 showing people that it's possible to make it to to D one schools. And I think Coach Franklin has recognized the talent of that once again. You know, he's done a good job with that. But I feel like you know, I could, it could have a strong impact on on Canadians. You know, knowing that there's a lot of Canadian players at Penn State, and you know, Canadian fans will look to Penn State as you know their team. So, you know, I'm um, that's something that. I, that's definitely exciting for me and, you know, knowing that you're you're putting your country on the map and, and doing it for your country is, is something special. And, you know, it's just, it's bigger than you, so. All
0: right, before I put the whole nation of Canada on your shoulders in the future of football, let's just focus on you yourself. What is the self-scouting report on Christian Veyu? What do you bring to the field, that quarterback? And what can you do maybe a little bit differently in this offense under Kirk Shiraka? You know,
2: football-wise, I consider myself a true passer um, with the ability to run. So, I feel like my athletic my athletic ability is something that goes unnoticed for sure. But you know, if I have the chance to throw the ball before I run, I'm definitely going to throw it. And I love throwing more than I love running. So, uh, my mom definitely taught me that one. But um, you know, I just feel like I'm a I'm a great player overall, and I've got a lot of room to improve. And I think that's one of the good things about me is that I'm not you know, fully polished and developed yet. And I've got a lot to learn. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place right now, but there's, you know, there's there's still a long ways to go. And I feel like I could definitely be great. And I have that confidence in myself. And, you know, I consider myself a strong leader that can really lead a team and get guys behind them and working for that same goal and that same purpose. So, um, you know, just overall, I feel like I'm bringing something really, special to Penn State and you know I'm just confident in my own abilities to to get in there and and compete and get that starting job and just be the best me I can be so I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity for sure.
0: Twice under James Franklin Penn State has signed two quarterbacks 2014-2019. Do you get the sense that that is a possibility in the 2021 class or do you believe that you are the one and only player they're taking at that position?
2: I mean, I want to be the one and only, you know, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a good uh, mixture to bring two quarterbacks into one class. And I made that clear to the staff that, you know, uh, if you're going to recruit me, it's in me and only me. And I feel like, um, you know, they've made the message clear and they've told me that they're only taking one. So um, I don't have any concerns about that.
0: What is your message to Penn State fans uh, about what you and this 2021 class have coming together cuz I can tell you a month ago at this time mid-March late March there was some concern about when is the class going to actually start adding pieces that's no longer a concern you guys are have a lot of momentum what's your message to Penn State fans about this group of players you're putting together
2: You know I think we're going to be special I think we're you know we're definitely going to have an impact and not only are we going to you know do great things for our class but I think our class is going to influence the next few classes to come as well and you know we're we're looking to come in and, and make an impact right away and make our presence felt for sure so um, we're excited about the opportunity and you know we're hungry to get a national championship and break all the Penn State records and come in there and compete so we're excited and we're hungry.
0: And then last one for you here, we're all kind of trying to figure out how to sort through these weeks and months. No one expected this situation. How are you dealing with it? How are you staying sharp as a football player? How are you handling your business with school? And I'm assuming you've pretty much been hunkered down at home in Ottawa?
2: Yeah, so I've I've been back in Ottawa doing this whole time, and I think that's a, that's a blessing in disguise for me. You know, I don't get this family time. I mean, I haven't gotten this family time in, like, this is a special opportunity to be with family and i I think being with family helped me make this decision as well so um but just me personally i've been working out in the basement you know getting creative with my workouts my team has been um getting on a zoom meeting and our trainer will be in there and gives us a workout so we'll do we'll do that three times a week and whenever it's sunny and nice out here i'll I'll go to the field in front of my house and throw into the than that, you know, you just got to find ways to be creative and, and get that working. And I know for sure this pandemic is not going to stop me from getting better and achieving my goals. So I'm, I'm still hungry. And I, I noticed that um, this is an opportunity that you have to take advantage
0: of. Well, we hope to see you on a football field with your teammates very soon and, and everybody's out and about getting back to normal. But until then, stay safe with your family. Keep up the good work. And, and again, congrats on your commitment. Look forward to seeing you in a Nittany Lions uniform down the road. And uh, we, we'll have several conversations in the future, I'm sure. Of course. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Christian. Uh, you know, you heard it right there. We're gonna jump into some of the topics that, that that came up over the course. One we're not gonna jump into because we we really took a dive in last episode last Thursday is the Canadian recruiting scene. Spent a lot of time talking about that. I'm in the process of working on a written story about Vayu's potential impact there, and really overall what Penn State has accomplished on the recruiting trail in Canada. Some more to come there, but but a few that I wanted to get to, Sean. Um, and, and really starting, uh, with the fact that Christian knows he needs to be a recruiter for this team. He's got to quickly, you know, go from hunted to hunter. And we, we, we see it all the time. Different guys, different positions. Lennon Tengwall was adamant about that when he came on the show, but quarterback's a different position. And we're talking about a class that does not yet have a wide receiver commit. Liam Clifford on board, but under that athlete designation for now.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a huge priority for both the staff and for Vayu moving forward. Um, as he said in the interview, I mean you've got guys that out there. Obviously, they had a commitment from Dante Thornton. They remain in the mix there, and and you kind of look to 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 the region for the you know they, there's a bunch of offers that have gone out. Taylor, Taylor Stubblefield has offered a lot of receivers, but you still look to the region for those those key targets um, in. Dante Thornton, Caden Prather, Jaleel Farouk, still a big target, even though he might be a, an Oklahoma, a strong Oklahoma lean. Um, and then Lonnie White, who they offered recently as an athlete, uh, probably going to be a wide receiver. So uh, you, you sort of always sort of matriculate back to home. And I think that's probably very true with everything going on uh, with the pandemic and quarantine and everything like that. So um, you, you take a look at those guys and, and those have to be the top targets. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. I think Farouk is, is, is maybe the most talented of the bunch, uh, you know he was going to get back for a visit eventually, but that that hasn't happened. I think they were in great sh- uh, great shape with him early, and then the coaching change happens, and some things change. And now you've got Caleb Williams with essentially a top two of Oklahoma and, and Maryland, and and Farouk's very close with Williams. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Pray they still feel good about that crystal ball. Um, we'll see where he stands regarding a decision. I know he wants to wait it out, but he also uh, and, and, and visit some schools. But that's really. That's the boat that everyone's in right now, man. Uh, it's <laughs> it's either make a decision now, wait to see what the NCA decides to do with the, the summer uh, regarding dead periods and visits and things like that, and then make a decision if you're ready to make a decision. Uh, probably put up a graphic announcing that you're ready to make a decision. I don't know. That's how it works right now. So um, that's where Prather is. And Dante Thornton's not doing anything anytime soon his hand, uh, I believe, will not be forced. I think he's going to announce at the All-American game in January, and I think he's going to run up until December without uh, without making a decision.
0: And of course, you're forgetting a very popular option that I feel like a lot of prospects are taking now. Make a decision today, change it in the fall when, when things get back on track and, and you can find your second commitment home. So, We'll see how it goes, but these Mar- these Maryland guys, the three that you mentioned, uh, Farouk, uh, Thornton, Prather, uh, certainly in the focus uh, for Veyu, like Landon Tengwall, sounded optimistic, as you would expect, of course, being a Penn State commit, that Thornton could end up coming full circle, rejoining the class that he committed to as a sophomore. Uh, but a long way to go there, as you said. And, and with Veyu, continuing on kind of the, what led to this commitment as we spoke in depth with him, I really wanted to kind of press on the issue a bit and we did with, with Kirk Sharaka and the timing of everything and his ability to get to campus that first weekend of February and actually sit down with Sharaka. It's something that uh, Caleb Williams and his family had planned for April coming to campus and, and getting to know him a bit more did not happen, could not happen, and, and you move forward with, with with Caleb Williams heading elsewhere now, and that meeting never taking place, but Sean, you documented this coming off of that visit with Christian Veyu, and we didn't know just how important that sit-down between him and Shiraka would be, but I don't know if you get to the finish line here without that.
1: I mean, I think you eventually get there. I think Veiu was, they're in a good enough spot with him, but I mean, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's so many unknowns at this point. And to, to have him be able to visit Duke, to have him be able to visit Clemson at that point, if he doesn't get to Penn State, I mean, obviously it puts you at a disadvantage. So uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, I don't know that they wouldn't have eventually gotten there because Penn State did have so many things working in its favor in terms of, you know, location and, and cl- being close to his parents. And, and you know, it's a familiarity was already there with the program it's just sitting down with the offensive coordinator maybe pushed him across that line so so I I can see both sides of it I think that uh, that that visit was important to sort of get uh, and, and Brian don't and I haven't listened to your interview because you, you're the only one that's heard that interview so far as we're recording um, but but I know Brian Doan sat down with with Christian Bay last week and talked about the aspect of the running quarterback in this offense and I think that's a It would have been a huge elephant in the room considering Penn State's recent history of having quarterbacks coming out of the season banged up. And as we've mentioned on the podcast before, that's certainly a recruiting pitch that's been used against them. And, you know, Christian Veiu kind of confirmed that. So, um it's an interesting dynamic in terms of questions that he would have had um, that he has gotten answered. You know, you're not behind those closed doors when he goes in with Kirk Shiraka and flips on the the Minnesota tape. Uh, but at, at the same time, he's got those stats that say, hey, you know, you want to protect yourself. We know how much Penn State has run in the past. Here's how much I've run in the past at Minnesota. And certainly there's a there's a middle ground. There's, there's a huge middle ground there <laughs> considering the difference, uh, but there's a middle ground there that you can work with and that you can sell and you can get out to your your prospects. And the numbers can be, you know, sort of twisted any way you want them to be. And in this case, uh, he wanted to see a lower number among rushes. And, and that's something that Kirk Shiraka has on his resume.
0: You guys did a really good job. You and Brian collaborating, uh, f- for insight on that piece last Friday. It came out after this podcast. and I'm glad you mentioned it because we didn't get a chance to talk about it immediately after the commitment. We mentioned after the commitment that Christian Veiu is not a stationary quarterback. He has that pro style label, but this is a kid equipped with athleticism, uh, ran in the four sixes, um, last year at Penn State camp. And, and, and but to your point and to the point that he actually mentioned during our inter- interview with him, you know, he said his philosophy is run if only if you need to, uh, you know, run only if that's, that's what you need to do to salvage a play. Essentially, it doesn't sound like a guy who, who's going to uh, see a crease and say, screw everything else. I'm zipping up the field. I'm going to take a shot um, and physically take a shot too. So I think, you know, your piece was interesting. I think it fell upon a, a lot of uh, welcomed readers because just reviewing the message board comments. A lot of positivity about about taking that approach. I think there was some skepticism on what the pitch was doing on the recruiting trail for Penn State, uh, being able to go pursue quarterbacks, particularly those who maybe aren't necessarily dual threat minded or or uh, you know heavy on the run. Do you think that you know we've talked about the meshing, the blending, whatever phrase you want to apply to it that has been applied by Franklin and Saraka and Tyler Bowen and and players about what we're going to see from this offense. Are you starting to think that maybe we are turning towards a bit more full-scale change uh, than, than what we initially anticipated in terms of how much a quarterback will be a, a tasked with running the football
1: I, you know, I'm on the fence about that because a lot of those rushing attempts by the quarterback are, are choices that the quarterback is making. So it's about how the defense plays you. It's about the matchups that you have. And I think that's one of the things when you're talking about Kirk Chiraca and what he's been able to do over the years is exploit some of those matchups and see what happens. And And it, he hasn't done so by running the quarterback. And, you know, I'm hopeful as a guy that watched Sean Clifford miss a game, you know, he got knocked out of a game and missed it. Game at the end of the year. Trace was tremendously banged up at times during his career. Um, Those guys ran a lot. They also made decisions to run a lot, and that's part of the offense. But that's also part of uh, you know what's what's being played against you. So we'll see if Penn State uh, you know does change that outlook. Like I said, there's a huge middle ground. I mean, you can say they can meet in the middle, and that still might be slanted toward the run. I mean, that's just uh, or the quarterback run. I know James Franklin sees it as a key part of his offense, but at the same time him I, I don't think there's any question that you have to dial it back. I mean, the the, the the way that the quarterbacks have exited the season the last two years. I mean, you had Sean Clifford miss, miss the game at the end of the year and sort of be in limbo for the for the bowl game for a little bit. So, I mean, it's it's a tough situation to deal with. Um, you know, there, I don't think there's any right answer until we, we see them on the field, but I don't think there's any question that those numbers have to come down. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, this, this is something that we discussed all last year. You've got a talented stable of backs and, you know, a ton of talent to uh, uh, you know to work with to just hand the ball to and and they didn't do that. You I mean Sean, Cl- Sean Clifford led them in rushing attempts a couple of times last season. So I mean that's that's something that you want to get away from. I don't see full scale changes. I think the offense when you when you break it down is close enough to what they've done in the past where there's there's going to be a bunch of overlap. I, I, I think you know, going back to what we said when Ricky Ronnie was hired, you you were running someone else's offense. You're running that Joe Moorhead offense, adding your own wrinkles to it. I'm not sure that he ever got comfortable with the game flow things that that the person that put together that offense, Joe Moorhead, would have, you know, excelled at. And I think that that's something that when you go back to Kirk Shiraka, bringing in his own uh, offense, bringing in his own uh, ways to feel out games and call games, I think that's going to, you know, benefit these guys tremendously. So, Uh, long answer to your short question. Don't see the wholesale changes coming, but I think that there's enough good that can be changed um, in terms of keeping your guys healthy, protecting your guys and using your strengths and using your matchups, which in this case, in this offense, it's going to be the running backs. It's going to be the tight end.
0: In each of the last two seasons, you went into your biggest road game 2018 at Michigan, 2019 at Ohio State. You went into those games with basically a shell of your quarterback in terms of what he was physically capable of doing. Those games are tough enough to win with a fully capable quarterback we saw what happened. They got buried, um, and, 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 and had to face really insurmountable, uh, disadvantages in each of those games and ultimately brought in a different quarterback in both cases. And that was because of the physical toll that by the point you reached that stage of the season, those quarterbacks were playing with. Uh, so and, it's it and is gonna the, be and, fascinating. And,
1: and, yeah. And by the way, I, I'd like to encourage people to read that. Uh, don't, don't got the, mm-hmm. uh, got the, uh, the byline on it, but he and I did a lot of research in that. We made it free. Uh, that's sort of something that we wanted to get to, um, in terms of analysis after the commitment, there's only so much that you can do. So how they fit, how that's going to work. That's, that was a tremendously research piece on, on his part. And, uh, you know, it, it really goes along with, I think what, what our people like to read. So I definitely recommend checking that one out because it's more than just a, a little, you know, here's a, here, here's what happened. Here's the guy that, uh, that they're getting. Type story. It's. I think there, there was a lot that went into it, and I do suggest reading it.
0: And because of what we could not see this spring, and what we typically will not see on the practice field during open media sessions, this is going to be a question that lingers in the usage of a quarterback as a runner into the season. So we will wait to find out and and, and get some answers, but we'll be waiting for a while. So bear with us on that. Uh, staying at quarterback, Sean. One thing that I think turned some heads yesterday certainly based on the facebook comments the way people may have interpreted it was christian Veiu adamantly making it a point during conversations with penn state and he just said it in the interview i know you didn't hear it but he did not mince words on this he he said that if they were going to recruit him at quarterback he wanted to be the guy the quarterback and he doesn't really think the two quarterback class situation works um this is a, a guy you know then then i you know saw some replies I guess he's not going to want to face any competition. What happens if he gets hurt? There's not going to be anybody else. He's going to be one of six scholarship quarterbacks on the projected 2021 roster. Of course, as we said last week, Quarterback rooms don't stay the same very long these days. So probably expecting that personnel group to change, but there will be competition. Sean Clifford, uh, back or not, there's going to be competition across the board in that room that he will face. But within his own class, Penn State's done it twice. 2014, Michael O'Connor, uh, and, and Trace McSorley 2019 to Quan Roberson and Michael Johnson Jr. Uh, but it's very few and far between these two quarterback classes. I didn't mention Caleb Williams by name on purpose during our conversation with Christian because I didn't really want to, you know, throw that name into a conversation about his commitment. But I think he understood where I was going with the question. They both had final groups. Um, they both had Penn State on that list. They both had Clemson on that list. And you know, he said, Sean, you know, he he wanted to be the quarterback in the class and he felt like the staff was on the same page there. Um, and very quickly, I'm, I'm not crediting Christian Veiu with this, but uh, Caleb Williams goes from five to three. On Monday afternoon, uh, it's Oklahoma in there, it's LSU in there, it's Maryland in there, and as the QB dominoes continue to fall, familiar name for our listeners, Garrett Nussmeyer, who spent some time on Penn State a couple times in 2019, he commits to LSU on Monday. So now you're looking at Maryland trying to somehow fend off Oklahoma, which just all they do is produce Heisman Trophy candidates, Heisman Trophy winners, and and first and second round draft picks and number one overall picks lately at that position. So good luck to the Terps, but. You know things move quickly in quarterback, and we were waiting to see. You know, would one guy facilitate other decisions? Christian Vayu a few days
1: ahead, and all of a sudden, here we are. You, you said a lot in that uh, those couple of <laughs> minutes. I went from pounding my head on the desk for Facebook comments to. Maryland versus Oklahoma for a quarterback. Let's think about that one. Um, you just
0: ran the gamut on that. Oh
1: my goodness. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it <laughs> I'm just sitting here laughing. Um, but it's uh, it, it's an interesting topic of discussion because this is this is something that we've heard for a long time, and and you just could not ignore Caleb Williams and all of this. I mean, you know, he's a phenomenal talent, top quarterback in the country, in my opinion, and I still think that. Uh, but uh, for for a guy to be, you know, he plays at the Bulls school, which is not all that far from Gonzaga. So, um, you know, it's, he's going to have that shadow over him uh, for the most part, even though he is not originally from there, but uh, you've several overlaps with Excuse me. Who's recruiting him? Which schools are in the mix? Uh, Clemson, obviously, uh, high for both of them. the The two quarterback thing is very interesting because Duke did take an athlete slash quarterback from the Baltimore area, who you know basically came out and said after he committed, "Hey, they want me as a quarterback. I'm a quarterback. Everybody labels him as an athlete. I'm a quarterback." So to to think that that. That wouldn't have an impact on his mindset regarding the blue devils I think is is probably a bit naive as well so um it, it's a very interesting set of dominoes It's not traditionally how we see it going down and and without him being able to take more visits I think it's he's been leaning Penn State for a while now and that and then that sort of sort of sort of just broke the dam and and broke through and you know it's a good time for Penn State because he's got to uh you know hit the ground running as as, as we talked about earlier recruiting wide receivers recruiting talent and having a quarterback in place. And, and I think this is the latest Penn state's had a quarterback without a flip situation in a long, long time. So to get that in place is such a big pay, uh, piece of your class.
0: All right, well, shifting gears, James Franklin, as I mentioned earlier, was on the social distance series on 24, seven sports. Uh, Urban Meyer was on there this week. Uh, Brian Kelly recently on there. As you said, Matthew McConaughey, most importantly, was on the show of late. Uh, but Barton Simmons and James Franklin spoke for about 22 minutes. You can check that out. It's up on 24-7 Sports. We've got some stories coming out of that uh, that we've written up. And, and just a few topics to hit. Sean, this is going to be more in your wheelhouse because I didn't start covering the program till 2017. By then, James Franklin, uh, yeah, he had that shiny Big Ten trophy in his possession, um, had an 11-win season and a Rose Bowl appearance in his possession, but there was a time when he started his career 16 and 14 through 30 games, and he mentions during this conversation, Mark Brennan wrote a piece on this that, you know, taking over a team that is dealing with sanctions, you're told at the start, you're going to be given a lot of leeway, This, you know, unprecedented circumstances for a program dealing with stuff like this. And, you know, he says quickly, football fans are going to be football fans. They come to expect and want wins. And when you're not getting those results on a consistent basis, they're going to be football fans and you're going to hear from them.
1: During Tom Bradley's storied run as Penn State's head coach, uh, he used to say the expectations are the expectations, which really doesn't make a ton of sense in general, but it's exactly what you're talking about in this situation. I mean, you, you expect Penn State to be Penn State whether you're hamstrung or not by sanctions and scholarship issues which were an absolute huge deal that people still don't recognize the scope of what they could have been because they had the you know the the relative success that they did but yeah, I mean, coming out of that is just—it it was absolutely brutal, and really, just people didn't care. And that's, um, you know, that—that's college football. I mean, I, I don't think that's exclusive to Penn State. I don't think, you know, if if another school went through a similar situation, you would have had the same thing because that's that's fandom these days. And you know, not really mincing words because uh, there's a lot of leeway that you can get um, with with reasonable fans like that, but. Given the situation that Penn State is in and the loyalties that that lied wherever they 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 were with this fan base, that's a tough go- job for anybody to walk into it. And it was funny because he he mentioned his advice to, to coaches is don't take over a program o- under sanctions. I mean th- that's a limited scope, and I mean <laughs> there's really not too many uh, I guess uh, circumstances in which that applies. So not a huge pretty- market. Not not really yeah pretty pretty pointed comments there, um but no he's he's I think it, it's a lot easier to make that statement on the other side of things, and they've obviously come out of it well, the numbers speak for themselves, and, and you know he still hasn't pushed everyone over that line as we've seen before as you as you read on your facebook comments uh but uh oh, yeah. you know it's it, it, it's been a long way since that turning point, point. and you know he mentioned the Ohio State game, but the Minnesota game and, and all that pushing through, I mean never really um. I think I've only I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, I've only sat there one time and thought, hey, maybe this guy isn't the guy once. And that was at halftime of that pit game in 2016 when they were, you know, pretty well thoroughly beaten. You know, eventually they did come back and, and make it a tight game. But that's really the only time I sat there and thought, you know, maybe this guy isn't the guy. And then, of course, they they rebound and win a Big Ten title uh, a couple of months later. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot. It happens. Uh, but uh, it's it's crazy to think back where that program was and, and what they had gone through. And, and the fact that they're still trying to push people across that line is, is fairly comical.
0: They win a Big Ten title that year that you're talking about, that three of four years, 11 wins, first time since the early 90s since that, that has happened. And uh, first time since the early '90s where we have seen Penn State produce uh, five plus draft picks in three consecutive years. So a good run so far. But again, we're talking about a head coach here who issued the you know the great to elite comments that people are not going to forget in 2018. So he continues to set the bar higher for himself. right,
1: right. And I'm going to circle back to the comments I just made and and make sure you know no James Franklin is is not infallible. He's got a lot to to work on to push this team to the level that that they want him or that he wants to be and and the fans want him to be. So I think there's there's certainly improvement to be made, especially in the you know in the game management situations and and little things that will push him toward the big thing. And I think that's uh, certainly um, something that, uh, that 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 can't go unsaid as well. You talked about that 2016 game with Ohio State. Looking back right now, that 2017 game at Ohio State is probably just as important because you you, you talk about you know a potential turning point. Uh, You know, a a definite turning point in that 2016 game, but a potential, you know, just another like you remember the old speed burst in Madden where you, you know, you hit the button and he would take off. I mean, that's basically what that 2017 game is to get you around the end and get you going. And I mean, (laughs) everybody talks about the 2016 team being close to the playoff, but the 2017 team was the team that was built for the playoff and and they came up short there. And that's certainly something that, you know, that's uh, that's one that you don't want to have on your resume. And, you know, it's it's probably kicking you a couple of years later. I mean, I'm not saying that changes the whole program. I'm not saying Penn State's sitting there with the number one recruiting class like Ohio State has right now, but certainly would have really, really helped perception really could have pushed you further in that elite direction. And, and man, that's the one uh, there, there are games that have been got, that have gotten away from Penn State in recent years. But that 2017 game at the horseshoe uh, is as big as any of them.
0: If 2016 was the turning point, 2017 in Columbus could have been the launch pad. And that Buckeyes team was being booed by their home crowd in that game. That's how much Penn State was pouring it on early in the contest. We all know how it ends. One of two straight years in which Penn State suffers a one-point heartbreaking loss to the Buckeyes, who all of a sudden they've now won three consecutive conference championships. Do you see what they're doing on the recruiting trail? Despite a tremendously, tremendously big coaching change, losing Urban Meyer, uh, but enough on Ohio State. Uh Just a couple things here. I don't need to dive deep in any of these because we've talked about them before. But uh James Franklin says Penn State is walking a fine line with Micah Parsons. You know, yes, they're considering using him as a kick returner. Yes, they're considering maybe even getting him touches on offense. But they've got a heck of a running back room. James Franklin says, who you taking off the field on kick returns? Who are you taking off the field on offense to facilitate him going in with that? Um, and additionally, I think with... Um, with, with James Franklin's comments, you know, he mentions Micah Parsons as one of the physical freaks on the team, but two guys he focused in on uh, journey Brown, Jason away. Those are guys that I think there's a lot of, uh, of expectations where if things go right. If things click more so in the case for Jason away, because we haven't quite seen it full scale and journey Brown, the sample size is half a season, but what a half season it was. We could be talking about guys who end up at the NFL combine as early as 2021, put on a show, build their stock. Jason Away, don't know if you saw this, projected as a first-round pick in next year's draft by Pro Football Focus. You can have your opinions on PFF one way or the other, but Away's name, despite one start to his credit, he started against Rutgers last year with Itor Grosmatos out with an injury. He's already drumming that kind of buzz, and James Franklin stating on Barton Simmons' show here, 438 40 yard dash and a guy who they fully anticipate is going to bring it all together on the field for Penn State eventually and we all know what Journey Brown's about 395 bench press uh 429 40 yard dash just some things to share we have a full rundown of a lot of this written up on the site but those were things that stuck out to
1: me I I know these are uncertain times, but I wasn't unaware that you were stringing for pro football focus. So congratulations on that mock draft uh, with, with Jason in the first round. (laughs) Well played, well played. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I get where they're coming from with that because of his physical talents. Um, I have a hard time seeing that one right now, but uh, that's, that's why they play the game. And that's, uh, you know, I'm excited to see the strides that he can make uh, because we're going to lump him and Adisa Isaac beside each other, you know, basically for the rest of their careers because of the physical talent and the potential that they have. Uh, There's a couple of good ones right there. And I'm really excited to see what steps Jason away can take because obviously, you know, it's not physical. It's about harnessing that physicality and those physical talents that he has. Um, But uh, the ceiling is certainly there. And I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, if things hit on all cylinders for him, he can be a first round pick. So it's uh, definitely, definitely an interesting leap to make by Pro Football Focus, considering that they watch a lot of the tape and, you know, he has improved. I think that's, I corrected somebody on the board last week saying that we're waiting for him to be able to stop the run. He has made improvements in that area, still has some way still has a ways to go in that uh you know in that facet of his game, but uh yeah, it's a first round pick. Wow, that's uh that's a lot, man, especially when you when you saw a productive player like Eto Grots Matos uh, slip to the second round even though he's not the freak that Jason Oa is.
0: We'll halt that conversation there. If you know me, you know, we got more Jason away coming up on the podcast, probably next episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, Sean, something new we're doing here on the podcast and really quickly, again, go check out the social distance conversation. We just briefly touched on some of the surface stuff that Franklin talked about. It's a one-on-one setting with Barton Simmons, a little bit different, I, I think, than, than maybe what you he would hear out of him when it's 25, 30 beat reporters Throwing different questions in his face over the course of 30 minutes on a Zoom call, so just would encourage you to check that one out, and, and there's plenty of others to check out as well from other leaders across college football. Franklin also shared some of his thoughts on what's going on with the coronavirus and how his team is handling that, and what their outlook is for for getting on the field in 2020. But Sean, something that we're going to start doing here on the podcast to bring in another element on an episode-by-episode basis, we hope, is a five-star mailbag. And and what that is going to entail is a little bit different in terms of the delivery service and how we're getting it. If you hit us with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, then leave your question. Feel free to to preface that question with a really nice comment about how much you enjoy the show. We love the reviews. Uh, We really appreciate those as well. But get your questions to us that way. We will address them, uh, and, and hopefully a relatively timely manner. If we get a bunch of them, we'll have to be a bit more selective or you may not get it, uh, uh right away. Uh, but Sean, it's something that, that, you know, we're going to try to, to start taking a peek at that podcast page a bit more because, uh, you know, folks left some nice comments last week and it's something that, you know, we'll try to generate more. And, and we know we, we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but the way Apple podcasts work, They really, really like good ratings and reviews in terms of promoting the visibility of your product and I think people would like to, for us to promote the visibility of our product because uh, you know we want to keep rolling with this thing. Uh, Momentum's been in a good place uh, during a dire stretch in college football, so that's been awesome. But we want to take this to a next level, and I think our audience can help us get there.
1: And, and you know, we're not above asking for for you to help us provide content because that please help us. That's where we're going to be for a little <laughs> while. So uh, yeah, we're, we're we're fine being shameless. I mean, it, it, it's it's who we've always been, really. Um, but yeah, the, the, we have one of the top podcast on the 24 7 sports podcast network and we'd like to continue to get out there and increase our visibility and 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 if we do that by taking questions from there. That's great. We'd love to have your reviews. Apple Podcast is very, very important. We, we, like I said, we have one of the best uh, podcasts on the network. We want to have one of the best podcasts on Apple Podcasts. I mean, that's that's our goal. Um, we've been sticking a couple of episodes out here a week, and you guys, the feedback has been good, and we want to do this as long as we possibly can. So uh, we'll shamelessly ask for for good reviews, and and we hope that uh, you can take us up on that, and we'll continue doing what we're doing.
0: Well, most importantly, we appreciate all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much. We hope to uh, ramp up our level of engagement with everybody uh, via this five-star mailbag. So play along with us. Uh, we'll do our best to facilitate your questions, get some answers to you, and, and have some fun uh, as we get into the summer here um, around the corner. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again to Christian Veiu. Uh, for taking the time after his commitment to discuss things in depth. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. There is plenty of written content about Christian, about recent commit Rodney McGraw, the Franklin Insight. That's all up on Lines247.com. We are not lacking for content right now. We hope you are enjoying all of that. Uh, We will step away. We'll be back later this week, of course, for our second episode as we do each and every week. For now, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz saying goodbye. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.